Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Here you go. Here you go. Observations is the nothing personal word of the day. It is Friday. Thank God it's Friday. March 31st, the final day of March. The end of the first quarter of 2023 is upon us. And the word is observations because I spend all day observating. MLB opening day happened. Game started at one o'clock. I left the CBS studios in Stamford, Connecticut at about 1 a.m. Made it back. And here we are live. Thank you for being a part of Nothing Personal with David Sampson. Let's get into the observations from opening day. The number one observation for me as a former executive, you cross your fingers, you want two things on opening day, three things on opening four, you want five things on opening day. You don't want to run out of hot dogs. That's one. You want to sell out your game. That's two. You want to win your game. That's three. You don't want anyone to get hurt. That's four, either on the field or off the field. Forget the guy who ran on the field at the Dodger game. Check out the video of the guy who proposed. I don't think we can use that video, Coca, but it's such good video. Don't run on the field and do a proposal. You're going to get killed. So injuries coming out of spring training, you are made it. You break camp. You meet with your GM. And you say, all right, we made it through the rain. We're heading north. We're ready to go. Everything's coming up roses. We're good. And then the phone rings and there's a tear of the somatis miris, some majorous muscle that in 18 years I never heard of in my life that Justin Verlander has a minor, I don't know what that means, a minor problem with a muscle in his shoulder, IL and you have to announce it before the game. No, you don't. They had to do a roster move, so they had to announce it. I would try to hold it, maybe for competitive reasons, so the Marlins would think they're facing Verlander in game two. How do the Mets feel about Verlander being hurt? Same way I would feel if I had him. I need Verlander and Scherzer to give me 30 starts each. I'm giving them $43 million. They're already making over a million to start. I want 30 starts. The problem is when you have a veteran pitcher, you need to listen to that pitcher. For a young pitcher, we don't listen to the pitcher. If we think the pitcher's hurt, we put him on the IL, period. But for a pitcher like Verlander, he knows his body better than the training staff in New York or the training staff in Houston or the training staff in Detroit. He knows his body. If there's something going on, he's gonna say something. When you see something, say something. You have no choice but to put him on the IL because he can't pitch until he's ready. So the Mets now have David Peterson as their starter today in the second game. And the Mets feel as though they are cursed. We've got Mets fans galore at CBS now, Mets fans at Metal Arc with Coca. 
and you have to think to yourself, this is it, we're doomed, we're cursed. I think you sent a tweet, Matthew, didn't you, yesterday? That you wanna give up being a fan or you, you're giving up or you're cursed or whatever you said. And I smiled at that because isn't this the perfect time for there to be a problem with Verlander? Would you rather it be in the pennant race when they're fighting the Braves for either playing in the wild card or winning the division and then your guys go down? Yeah, you said it even worse. You said the season's over. Thank you for reminding me. The season's not over. Look at you, you're undefeated. You defeated a sea of empty blue seats. You defeated the reigning Cy Young winner. But that's a big injury for the Mets. So you're watching games, you make it to the game, you put Verlander on the DL, on the IL. You're gonna have to wait for him to tell you when he's ready, but it's obviously not now. You're gonna be twice through the rotation without him. The Mets can spin it, which is how I would spin it publicly if a veteran got hurt. You say, we're good. And the fact is that pitchers only have a certain number of bullets. We want him more in October than we want him in April. I can spin that like a dreidel, no problem. Then you send out your race for opening day. You're the Atlanta Braves first game of the year. It teed off right when the Yankees did as well. The Braves are playing the Nats. The Nats start Patrick Corbin, the single most overpaid pitcher other than Steven Strasburg. Out goes Max Freed. He is dealing. He's my pick for Cy Young. There is a simple ground ball to first base. Everything's fine. Freed goes to cover the bag and he makes a weird face. I'm up in the box and I see a player make a weird face. I'm okay, but I'm not happy. When I see a player touch his own body, that's when we get down to the dugout and to the clubhouse. Max Freed made the face and then he touched his hamstring. When a player touches a part of their body like a hamstring, they're testing it to see where it hurts to make sure that they are feeling what they feel and that it's not going away immediately, that it's not a stinger or some sort of just something that can disappear in five seconds. But when you touch it and then it's your hamstring and it's April, that's it. Not only do you take him out of the game, they let him throw a warm-up pitch, which I would not have done. He threw a warm-up pitch. He could not use his back leg. He couldn't properly plant. He was immediately taken out of the game. And I said on Twitter, David P. Sampson, he's going on the IL. Without hearing a word from anybody, Brian Snicker, the manager after the, the game where they crushed the Nationals, of course, said that we're sending him to the IL. Why? Hamstrings. Every team knows that when a hamstring is at issue, you have to be conservative and cautious because if you pitch with a bad hammy, you will have a bad shoulder and a bad elbow. Can't do it. So the Braves lose their number one starter. They're able to beat the Nationals because anyone will be able to beat the Nationals this year. And again, the Braves have the same view as the Mets. Better now than later, let's be conservative. So I'm thinking about these injuries and what I would say, and I shouldn't have done this, and I remember being upset with trainers, being upset with our conditioning staff, wondering why if pitchers aren't taking the drills seriously in spring training. They're called, uh, I am having a Friday moment. I wanna say PFPs, but I don't think that's what it is. Coca, is there any way you're gonna help me with what the spring training workout is when you have a comebacker to a pitcher or a ground ball to first base and the pitcher has to cover first base? 
from your little league? Do you have any idea, any recollection of what that drill is? Let's just pretend it's an LSD. So you want to take that very seriously in spring training because I want pitchers to be ready because their legs need to be conditioned. We take the warm up seriously, even if the players don't always take the pregame warm ups. Have you ever gone early to a baseball game and seen a team stretch? One of the biggest fights that we ever had as a front office with the clubhouse is when we lost our minds because we didn't think the players were taking stretching seriously enough. And they were looking at the jumbotron, they were fooling around, they were talking to each other, they were laughing. And we always said the pregame stretch is so important because that's when hamstrings get hurt. Have you ever tried to just go from an all out run? Baseball, it's the most important sport that requires stretching because it's speed like this. It's starting and it's stopping. You're standing around and then all of a sudden a ball's hit to you and you start sprinting. Or you're in the batter's box and you hit a ball, ground ball, you're supposed to start sprinting or going first to third. Anything that requires that sort of quick twitch motion requires stretching. Am I blaming the Braves training staff? No. Is it bad luck? Yes. Does it absolutely suck when a pitcher has a hamstring issue? Yes, it does. So injuries were a big observation of my day yesterday. The other injury that I saw that is not getting enough attention was Wilson Contreras, the new catcher for the Cardinals. Did you see Jordan Hicks hit him straight in the knee with about a hundo? Back in my day, when pitchers are throwing Greg Maddox 85, you get hit in the jimmy, it is what it is. Now everybody's throwing 98, 99, 100. You don't wanna get hit anywhere. Contreras limped out of the game. He's gonna wake up this morning despondent beyond repair. His knee is gonna look down. It's gonna be some sort of color. That is a great other comment about a clubhouse. When you go into the training room before a game, or you're in the clubhouse when players are either getting dressed or undressed, and there's nothing nefarious about it. You're just around talking to players and staff. During the course of a season, you see every color of the rainbow on these players' bodies. Because when you get hit with a ball in any way, hit by pitch, hit by an errant throw, anything that a ball comes in contact with your body, it leaves a bruise that is majestic in nature. So that's injuries, but everybody's focusing on the new rules. There's articles being written, the impact of the new rules, all the games were so fast. Yankees break a record, win the game five, nothing in two hours and 33 minutes. Everyone's excited that the average was down 25 minutes. I'm not even focused on game time. I was wanting to see what was gonna happen with the pitch clock, what the umpires were gonna do, whether or not runners were gonna put the game in motion, were they gonna start stealing bases? And I noticed things immediately that were interesting, but it's one game. These are not going to be conclusory statements. No chance, I'm not gonna do it. Not after one game, not after 10 games, not after 80 games. I will begin to consider the impact of rule changes at 162, maybe. So the pitch clock violation, everyone was ready to write. Who's gonna be the first violator? Marcus Stroman, there's a nugget, all right? Pitching for the Cubs, beating Corbin Burns and the Brewers, by the way. He had the first violation, great. Did he care? No. 
Rafael Devers, first violation. He got struck out, actually, on a batter's time clock violation. Did the world come to an end? No. One violation, he wasn't ready. Here's where MLB has to look at something that happened in the Mets game, and there has to be an adjustment made. And when MLB sent a rule clarifying memo, remember the whole Bat Boy, Bat Girl memo, when they're gonna be evaluating Bat Boys and Bat Girls, and the umpire has discretion to either restart the clock or not, when a catcher falls or when a hitter falls, or when there's something going on where a player is not trying to delay, The Mets got called for a violation because Pete Alonso went after a foul ball and he didn't get back into position fast enough. That is complete horse hockey. And believe me, I'm not trying to come out on the side of the Mets in any situation or scenario. And I would just like to say, oh, was he on first base? Is that where he was? Excuse me. Sorry. Thank you. He's on first base. He's going to second, foul ball. He has to go back to first. The umpire said he's not going fast enough. That's what it was. Too many games, too little sleep. The umpires cannot do that. You have to let players catch their breath. You have to let them jog back to first base. I don't want my players sprinting back to first base on a foul ball. No, not at all. You are going to see a clarification. We could actually make that an official wait to see but we're not going to. But I'm going to say, wait to see, not official. Don't look in the document. MLB will clarify that because we can't, owners should be calling MLB right now and presidents or GMs and saying, listen, you can't give a violation to a batter because my runner doesn't get back fast enough. That has to be an exception. The umpire should not start the clock until the runner is back, having engaged the base where he was previous pitch. So I did notice that. Players noticed a bunch of things when they were doing their observations. JT Ralamuto, who is a good, good man, often on the field. We've talked about him on this show many times. He had a very interesting quote about their game. The Phillies had a tough game. That's the uh, Jacob deGrom game where they got back in the game but wasn't good enough. They lost to the Rangers. They gave up a nine spot, and he said that he felt very rushed. He felt that that was one of the reasons for the nine-run inning. Baseball is not going to react in any way to that statement because if you are having an issue with your pitching and you are giving up a big inning, it has nothing to do with pitch clock. It has to do with ineffectiveness of your defense or of your pitching. That's it. So it's funny to see JT do that. So then I was wondering what would happen with steals. I wanted to focus on that because I was shocked when this rule changed. I did not realize when the rules were first announced that the bases, not only would they be that much bigger, but it would lead to a change in the actual measurements inside the diamond. And that has not happened in my lifetime. So it's really not 90 feet between bases. So everyone is saying people are going to start stealing bases. And I said to you before yesterday, teams have to be careful. You do not want to get the game in motion and take the bat out of certain hitters' hands. You're still waiting for the three-run home run. I don't believe that analytics will change the approach this quickly. Right out of the bat, Ronald Acuna, base hit, and he steals second. But guess what? 
He stole second, not because the bases are bigger. He stole second because of the little known rule that we talked about on Nothing Personal about disengaging the rubber. The pitcher is only allowed to disengage the rubber twice. On the third time, he has to get the runner out or the runner gets to advance a base. So think about the game. Patrick Corbin throws over to first. Acuna's back. He looks at the first base coach and he says, one. Now, if Patrick Corbin throws over a second time, that means he can't throw over a third time, so Acuna can just go. If Corbin doesn't throw over, that means Acuna can't go because he doesn't know maybe a second will come or maybe he knows he won't throw a second. But Corbin threw over a second time, and that's it. He can't do it again. Acuna's secondary lead was so large that it was so easy for him to steal the base. And it turns out that that's what teams were doing. They were paying attention to pitchers disengaging the rubber. They were paying attention to when they could steal. And it ended up happening. 21 stolen bases yesterday. The Baltimore Orioles made a mockery of the Red Sox. Stole five bases themselves in that crazy game that the Orioles won. Will that pattern continue? And will we get back to the Vince Coleman, Ricky Henderson days of 70, 80, 90 stolen bases in a year? I do not think so. I'm not willing to say that after one game. I'm just not. Okay, next observation. Aaron Judge is good. Next observation. Shohei Otani is really good and the Angels suck. Forget the fact that I lost the pick of the day with the Angels. Forget the fact that Shohei Otani had 10 strikeouts, six innings, shutout, no runs allowed, and their team lost the game. That's the first time that's happened since 1901, and I lost a pick of the day. Are the Angels that cursed? Did Artie Moreno go to bed last night saying, damn, I should have sold for the 2.3 and not held out for the 3.2? What do you think Otani's thinking? I'm not going to resign with the Angels now. I'm despondent. If I told you how quickly players rebound from losses, you'd be upset because they rebound way faster than we do in the front office and way faster than you do as fans. They go in the clubhouse, they shower, they eat, they leave, they're good. We're sitting there with the manager, then we have to speak to the owner, then we have to speak to the press, then we gotta figure out what changes we're gonna make. We live with it, we work with it, we have to make some change, we have to do something. Oh, I've got an opening day story for you. Coca, I'm sorry, I just thought of this. This is a funny one. Our first game ever as the Marlins, we had come from Montreal. And in 2002, our closer was a guy named Braden Looper. And Braden Looper, it just so happened, the scheduling gods had the Marlins opening the 2002 season in Montreal, and which is where we had just come from. So I went to Montreal and I had two security guards with me named Larry Bonfest and Michael Hill. We're watching the game and Braden Looper blows the save. I believe Orlando Cabrera hit some sort of duck fart on a walk-off and the Marlins lose, we're 0-1, and the owner calls and says, he's done, release him. We need a new closer right now. And it was opening day. That was just a warm-up to the Heath Bell issues that we'd have. Just to show you what opening day means. 
when you have a bullpen that blows it, it feels so much worse than it actually is because you've prepared, you've done all the things I talked about for opening day, and then your closer blows it. It's the worst feeling in the world. Otani did all he can do. He was on base twice, one for three with a walk. What are we gonna do? Rendon, Renfro, Trout, Otani. They're 0-1 having lost to the Oakland A's. Let's not overreact. That said, it's bad. It's very, very bad. Other observations, what else did I see? Jacob DeGrom, are you guys excited? We're Mets fans, schadenfreude. Were you rooting for DeGrom to give it up? I bet you were. I bet you were rooting for DeGrom to give it up, but for the Rangers to beat the Phillies, which means Mets fans had a really good day yesterday. I assume that's what your plan would be. That's what my plan would be. If we were the Marlins, that's what we would want. Let DeGrom, abs- let our former player, whoever we traded, whoever we couldn't resign, let him not perform well, even though we can't say it publicly. That's what we root for. And But we want our divisional team to lose more than we want a player who we let go or traded to have a bad game. So it was a win all around for the Mets. The Texas Rangers are fully panicked. Not. All right, last observation, a little more serious, if you don't mind. Indulge me on this. Do you remember the World Baseball Classic when Jose Altuve got hit in the thumb and it was a pitcher named Daniel Bard? And I was very critical of the manager, Mark DeRosa, for not taking Daniel Bard out of the game before he pitched to Altuve because Daniel Bard has a history of the yips. He has a history of anxiety. He stepped away from the game for many years, about five, eight, ten years ago, whatever the number is. He had a great, great comeback. He was pitching very well. Gets in the WBC, and all of a sudden, he's throwing it to the backstop, Charlie Sheen style. If you're Mark DeRosa, you've got to know your player. You've got to get him out of the game immediately. Kept him in the game. He hits Altuve. Altuve ends up break, fracturing his thumb, and Daniel Bard is a great guy, sensitive guy, and he was impacted by it. He announced yesterday that he's putting himself on the injured list. And the way that conversation would go is the player would either come to the team psychologist or to the manager, in some cases the pitching coach, but most likely the manager, the team psychologist, and would give the team psychologist permission to discuss with us that which is going on in his head. And he put himself on the injured list saying, from my experience, knowing myself, I think just taking a step back, taking time to work through things, get it right is the best approach for me. He said that to reporters yesterday when the Colorado Rockies placed him on the IL. We've spent a lot of time on this show talking about mental health and the serious impact it has on the ability to physically perform. It has come a long way, notwithstanding the few steps back that may be taken by players who feign mental health issues. The overwhelming majority started really the groundswell. I wanna give Kevin Love all sorts of credit for bringing it to the forefront, for acknowledging what is real about superstars, no matter how rich they are, that they face the same mental struggles that I do and that many of you do. Anxiety is a real thing. The yips are a real thing. I've seen it up close and personal. So I'm wishing, as my last observation, for a recovery for Daniel Bard. Not that he recovers to come back 
and become the best bullpen arm in baseball. But the recovery, first and foremost, that he's able to come to some sort of peace with the reality of the anxiety, with the reality of what causes the anxiety, what causes the yips, and from there, his comeback can happen. Daniel Bard, we are all rooting for you. The braveness that players have to show. There's so much testosterone inside a clubhouse. That's the whole issue with homosexuality in clubhouses. The, the testosterone, you don't want to admit it. Thank God those days are ending, or hopefully they're ending. And it's the same with anxiety. You don't want to be that player, but now it's becoming more normalized, which it should be. A mental wellness issue is the same in my mind as a physical wellness issue. A strained hamstring is not more or less important than a torn quad muscle or any sort of anxiety that a player would have or any sort of mental issue that a player would have. They all need to be treated with the same kindness and the same sympathetic ear for all of us. Daniel Bard, please come back. All right, when we come back, I'm gonna review a documentary that just came out on Amazon called Reggie. And then I'm gonna answer a question that somebody asked about the NFL that is a really interesting question about whether or not there will be NFL teams internationally as in an entire division. We'll be right back. The NBA playoffs are heating up and so is the action at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. With same game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more. Don't miss out as the NBA postseason winds down. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SAMSON. New customers can bet five bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SAMSON. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. That's 467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino Resort in Kansas. 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Hawaii, Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.co slash bball for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back to Nothing Personal. It's David Sampson, Matthew Coca, five days a week, live, 8 a.m. on YouTube, Nothing Personal with David Sampson YouTube channel, or wherever you get your podcast. Tell your friends about us. We're growing. Maybe, maybe if you tweet at me at David P. Sampson and follow and subscribe on YouTube, I'll tell you what my number one movie is. Maybe. All right. I watch a movie every day. I do. It helps when you don't sleep. Last night was a great example. Zero minutes of sleep. Zero. I watched a few episodes from, I'd say, 3.15 a.m. to 6.15 a.m. I got in three episodes of The Night Agent, so I'll have a review for that next week. I'm five in now, and I'll get the rest of them done this weekend. 
That was really great watching the sun rise with the night agent. But a movie I watched two days ago, I think, is the new documentary about Reggie Jackson. My memory of Reggie Jackson is going to a World Series game with my mom, and that was the first time I was ever in the newspaper. Little known fact there. The first time, maybe other than a birth announcement, but I doubt that would have been in the paper, no matter how, what base you're born on, I don't think that makes the paper. So I went to a World Series game, and there was a reporter who was looking for mothers and sons experiencing a baseball game. And they saw us, interviewed us, took our picture, and there we were in the paper. Somewhere my mom has that clipping. I wanna say it was 1977, 1978, I was nine or 10 years old. Reggie Jackson hits three home runs in a game. The Yankees win a world championship, and he was the guy who had a candy bar named after him. That was how I engaged with Reggie Jackson, a power hitter who I knew used to play for Oakland, I thought, but he was a Yankee through and through. Then I got into the game of baseball. I met Reggie Jackson, and I'm gonna tell you, and I'm gonna be vulnerable right now and just tell you the truth. The times that I got to meet and speak to Reggie Jackson, I found him to be not the most generous person with his time or with his knowledge. He was always busy, always felt like he wanted to not engage with many people about baseball or about anything. And I judged Reggie Jackson. And this is not having him as a player of mine or a coach or anything. This was from experiences where I should know better. I shouldn't be judging people who I haven't lived with. I shouldn't be judging players who haven't been on the team who I've been in a clubhouse with. But I always had the view that Reggie Jackson had a chip on his shoulder and I just assumed he had a chip on his shoulder and I left it at that. I just watched the documentary about Reggie Jackson and Reggie, there are people around you listen to nothing personal. I would just like to say I was completely wrong about you. Any chip that's on your shoulder is so well-deserved and it's so strong that it would take some sort of jackhammer to get rid of it and so deserved. I was not aware of what you went through as a African-American player in Major League Baseball, it, it sort of didn't occur to me because of a blind spot I have. You know about Jackie Robinson, you study Jackie Robinson, you're aware of what happened with Kurt Flood and free agency. You read up on the history of baseball, you read up on the Negro Leagues, you go to Kansas City and go to the museum. I didn't associate Reggie Jackson with having to go through what he had to go through as a young major leaguer. This documentary takes you there. This is Reggie Jackson being open about his experience as a player in Major League Baseball, as a black player in Major League Baseball. Please watch it. And maybe one of you will have the type of epiphany I had, which is, I was wrong. Being judgy is such an unfortunate thing to be. I think we're all judgy in certain ways, whether we want to admit it or not and we all make assumptions whether we should or not, and we say, making assumptions makes an ass of you and me, but guess what? We still do it. We all still do it. Maybe we should take a breath or do some work, do some research before we make a judgment about people we don't know well, who we haven't been in their shoes. I will never be in Reggie Jackson's shoes no matter what. 
The movie is called Reggie. It's on Amazon. I hope you watch it. Ooh, we hit 12,000 subs on YouTube. I don't know why. I don't want to celebrate that, even though I said I would, so we're going to. One day next week, we'll tell you next week when we do it, if you are listening to Nothing Personal live at 8 a.m., you will be eligible to win a prize. And it'll be cool. It'll be a piece of memorabilia because I said to you I would. And instead of doing a random numerator, randomizer, a a number randomizer, 4968. So instead of doing a number randomizer, we're going to take somebody in the chat room of a live show. We're going to ask a trivia question. And if you get it right, you're going to win. Thank you to all the people who are watching every day. But we got to get way higher than 12. So get people to subscribe. All right, Coca, play me some music. You know what I want? I want to talk to Samson. God, that makes me smile. For the many, many thousands of you who are new to the show, so you want to talk to Samson. Tens of thousands, maybe. So you want to talk to Samson. That's from a movie called Half Baked, which is a movie with Dave Chappelle, and it's about people getting fully baked. I suggest you watch it anywhere between 169th baked and 69 69th baked, because that will depend on how funny it is but I happen to love it no matter what state of mind I'm in. And there's a character in the movie named Samson and everyone wants to talk to him. So if you get into my Twitter at David P. Samson, as I said, I try to get to as many of these as I can. I try to answer as many as I can and engage with all of you. Please be forgiving of me. It's getting harder, which means the show is getting bigger, which is what we want. But here's the question that one of you asked. Loved it. David, that's always a good start. I mean, hello, David's even better. What's up? What's shaking? This was just David, comma. How likely do you think an international division in the NFL is? Thanks for reading this question, if you actually do. Hell yeah. That one made me smile, and you made the show. How likely do I think there will be an international division in the National Football League? 100%. That's how likely. This just came up. I assume the reason you're asking the question is there was an owner's meeting that just happened in Arizona in the NFL, and there was some talk, there were some rumors of some discussion about a four-team European division. There is no way it was a source. It came from A.J. Perez of front office sports. There was some unnamed owner who was bolstering the chatter, something about an international division. Let me explain the math here. What do you think is the result of adding four teams to the NFL? Do you think that it would be bad for the product because we can't find an extra 240 football players? Do you think it would be bad because the existing football players would have to travel across the ocean, across five to eight time zones? Do you not think that there would be extra money coming from broadcast rights, both overseas and domestically. I'm just spitballing here. Why do you think the NFL plays games in London? You start your international presence because you want to grow the game internationally and you want to get more revenue from your TV deal internationally. You want to get some merch sold online internationally. 
you want to grow fan affinity. That Think about it as expanding your business when you have one store in one part of town and you want to expand, but there's only a certain number of people who can come to your one store, guess what you do? You open a second store and you keep going until a store you open doesn't work and then you close it and look for a different place to open a store. Expansion, it's not just sports. Any business, expansion is the single most critical driver of incremental additional revenue. You can do all sorts of things to cut expenses and to raise your profit margin at, at one part of your business, at one store. But if you really wanna grow, then you offer more product, different product, different location. So the NFL goes to London. They started with just a touch. We'll play one game there, one time a year. Look what it's grown into. It seems like every weekend there's a 9.30 game in the NFL AM. Why is that important? Because there's a one o'clock slot taken, Eastern, four o'clock Eastern, taken, seven o'clock, 7.30 Eastern, taken. What does that leave? The 9.30 AM slot. You can't play 9.30 AM Eastern time. You can't play 6.30 AM Pacific time but you sure as heck can play 1.30 p.m. London time, GMT, Greenwich Median Time. If you ever go to London, go to Greenwich. It's really cool. That's where time started. That's where it's measured. Ever heard like pilots talk about Zulu time? That's Greenwich. That's right near the Globe Theater. It's right up the Thames River in London. That's the perfect time. That's what's left. But having one team permanently based in London, does that work? No because that team would have to travel to the US to play every one of its road games. How about two teams? Perfect. We'll have those two teams play each other eight times. It'll be great. No, you can't do that either. Every team, if you're going to have an international team, it has to either be four or zero. And it's not going to be zero forever. They're not gonna dip their toes in the expansion market in Europe. They're gonna dive into the deep end because of the logistics. Because if you've got four teams over there, they play each other six times, twice each, four teams. So six of your 17 games are, you're staying there, of your road games. Of course, you've got all of your home games so you're only going to the US for five games. Some years it'll be six because of 17 games, eight home games, one year, nine home games the next, but forget all that. Five games in the US. Can you see a world where each of the NFL international teams takes two trips per year to the United States? One trip lasting for two Sundays and one trip lasting for three Sundays. You go to the players union and say, you're gonna play two games in a row on the road. And instead of flying home in between, you'll fly on Thursday to the US, you'll play Sunday and then the next Sunday and fly home. It's a 10 day trip for the players to be away from their families. Once a year, it's a 17 day trip and the union will say families have to be allowed to travel. Excuse me. Coca, do I have to say excuse me when I mute? or is the purpose of muting to not say, excuse me. But when you're live, I think you still have to do it because people are watching and here I am. Okay, whatever. So 
you negotiate with the union, you negotiate with the broadcasters, and then you tell the owners that you're gonna be getting all the existing owners a huge check. And I don't mean 30 million per team. I mean about 100 million per team. You're looking at four expansion teams. It's not teams relocating. You will have 36 teams in the NFL because moving a team like Jacksonville to London, that actually defeats the purpose of how an international division would work. Would they all be in London? Could you have them in Europe, which is really like the Northeast? It's like having teams in Boston, New York, and Philadelphia. Easy to do. That's how close cities are in Europe. So if you're asking me, do I think, will there be an international division? The answer is yes. Now ask me the next question, when? We are now in 2023. It's not gonna happen before 2030, but it's gonna happen in the 30s. So for those of us who are young and we're still gonna be NFL fans in 2039, it's only 16 years away. I'm only gonna be, oh my golly, I will be three score and 11. All right, we'll still be doing nothing personal though. Thank you for your question. Nothing personal pick of the day. I'm pissed. I had the Angels over the A's. How did that do? That's a loss. I had the Guardians over the Mariners. Zach Justin Bieber, shut out. Pitch great. So did Luis Castillo over the Mariners. One pitch to tie France. Three-run homer. Guardians lose. That's a loss. Zach Gallen over the Dodgers. I needed the plus money. They have a 2-0 lead. Zach Gallen's dealing. Diamondbacks lost 8-2. Oh, for three. Thank God I had the Mets over the Marlins as the easiest pick of the day. Not easy to pick against a Cy Young Award winner, but I've been there for opening days. I knew that it would be Queen South. I knew that Steve Cohn would go there and revel in the fact that he had taken over a road stadium. There is nothing worse, nothing worse than having a home game that's like a road game. The players hear it. They go back into the clubhouse after. They're pissed. They want to know why we're offering tickets to people who don't live in Miami. And then you try to screw around with Ticketmaster and you try to make it so only certain zip codes can buy tickets. And then I say to them, hell, we don't care who you root for, just pay the money for a ticket. That's what I would say to myself, to the owner, even publicly. But the truth is it hurts. It hurts so badly. The opposite of Taylor Dane, or is that John Cougar? Hurts so good. I don't know what Taylor Dane's saying. I think she sang a song about that. Anyway, the Mets had a home game in one. We went one and three. We're 44 and 45. I did not expect to go one and three yesterday. Not good. All right, let me give you my picks. We have a big weekend. Only five games on the slate tonight in baseball. You obviously know why the Marlins are playing because teams who are playing are teams that know there is no chance of a rainout on opening day. When you have opening day, you assume you're going to sell out, which the Marlins didn't. And then you have to keep the next day open because if the game gets postponed for whatever reason, all those people just portage to the next day and then everyone's fine. No exchanges. No one's upset. The tickets for Friday would be good for Saturday or Thursday for Friday. Five games tonight. I'm taking the Dodgers and Dustin May over the Diamondbacks and Merrill Kelly. Merrill Kelly is the guy who started the WBC. Remember the USA pitcher? He started the final game. Remember? Nobody? Okay. 
Dodgers. They're heavy favorites. The Diamondbacks gave them a bit of a fight. Dodgers are just a better team. All right, Final Four is coming up. It's an exciting time to be in Florida. I'm not in Florida, but I would imagine it'd be an exciting time to be in Florida. Miami has a team in the Final Four. Broward has a team in the Final Four. It's unbelievable. Who would have expected it? San Diego State's in the Final Four. And then, of course, UConn. Is this the, Coca, did Cliff Robinson go to UConn? Do I have that in my head correctly? And I'm not good with college players and where they and players and where they went to school. Cliff Robinson was the uh, the defender in the shrug shot. Very good player. Played for the Trailblazers. Played for a bunch of teams. Where the headband. I went on Survivor with him. I'm not sure where he went to school. I have a feeling he did go to UConn. And in honor of Cliff, Uncle Cliffy. Some people call him Uncle Spliffy. I called him Cliff. People call him Uncle Cliffy. UConn for me is trying to win it all honoring Cliff Robinson, who passed away only in the last couple of years. They are favored by five and a half points over Miami. My pick is Miami. I think UConn wins this game, but I think that spread is too much. There's something about the Hurricanes. Doesn't it feel a little like destiny to you? Don't you sort of get that feeling that they're good enough? Don't you get the feeling that John Ruiz and all the NILs have put Miami in a position where they may have bought a title? I'm still taking UConn to win it, but that's not the bet. The bet is Miami plus five and a half. In the other Final Four game, you've got San Diego State University, and I'm taking them minus three over FAU. The reason I'm taking them minus three over FAU is that FAU in the Final Four is a chef's kiss of brilliance and the run will end, and they will always be remembered as a team that somehow made it to the final four, and that is as far as it will go. So those are the three picks for the weekend. Enjoy your weekend. I end the week with an official wait to see that I have to get on the books. I am so livid with the bad contracts that I signed in my career. It's so hard to get out of them. You don't wanna release a player who's overpaid. Did you watch Patrick Corbin? Have you watched him over the past few seasons? He got that six-year, $140 million extension after the World Series. He is so bad. He's owed $24 million this year and $35 million next year. That's $59 million over two years. The Nationals are gonna release him. If they are truly rebuilding, which they need to, and they're going to not even win 65 games, You've got to start getting other pitchers innings. You've got to get them major league experience. You cannot give the ball to Patrick Corbin every five days. You're not going to make him your long guy. You're not going to make him your closer. You're going to have to swallow hard. You're going to have to put it as a purchase price adjustment when the Nationals get sold because no one's going to assume payments for Patrick Corbin under any scenario, even if he's on the team. So my official wait to see, which is when we tell you something's going to happen, and we always revisit it. Either way, if we get it right or we don't get it right, we revisit it. Patrick Corbin is going to get released before next season even starts, and the Nationals will be on the hook for all 35 million of his next year's salary, and even part of this year's $24 million. You wait to see, because even if it's just business, sometimes it's nothing personal. The headlines remind us daily, 
The world is a dangerous place. The elites in charge say everything's fine, stop noticing, but you know better. And your gut knows that time is short to prepare for a world that is four missed meals away from chaos. My Patriot Supply has helped over three million families become more self-reliant and is the company Americans trust to prepare. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure their best-selling three-month emergency food kits. Each contain delicious breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Secure at least one food kit for each family member. For a limited time, save $200, plus get free shipping on all their Ready Hour 3-month emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. My Patriot Supply also has solar power generators, water filtration units, biomass stoves, heirloom seeds, and critical survival gear. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com